Dr. Luis Sandoval is accomplished in the fields of mental health and spiritual warfare. A medical doctor, board certified in neurology, psychiatry, and family medicine, he is also a psychiatrist for the Roman Catholic Diocese of Orange, Ministry of Healing and Deliverance. Now, Dr. Luis Sandoval. Patron saint of youth, young women, purity, and victims of rape. Who could that be? We're going to find out in just a second, but welcome to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. You are listening to the Dr. Luis Sandoval Show. As always, I'm your host, Dr. Luis Sandoval. Happy to be here to share our Catholic faith. As we are coming up on Lent, it's so important to really pray and to think about where is my life headed and where do I want my life to go? When we start talking about that, I think it's important to think about the saints because we do so many things during Lent where we say we're going to give certain things up or reform our lives in certain ways. And I think that that's really important. Um, but sometimes we don't know where to start, what direction to move in, or how to even go about it. Well, let's look at a few saints. So let's look at the lives of a few saints, as many as we can get in the show here, to see how do our guides make it to heaven themselves. All right, let's start with the angelus here at the top of the noon hour. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. The angel of the Lord declared unto Mary, and she conceived of the Holy Spirit. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it done unto me according to thy word. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. <clears throat> and the word was made flesh, and dwelt among us. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Pray for us, O Holy Mother of God, that we may be made worthy of the promises of Christ. Let us pray. Pour forth, we beseech thee, O Lord, thy grace into our hearts, that we, to whom the incarnation of Christ thy Son was made known by the message of an angel, may by his passion and cross be brought to the glory of his resurrection, through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl around the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, let me get some light in here. It's a little dark in the studio. There we go. That's a little bit better. <clears throat> all right. We're getting coming up here on the, in, we're in Lent. We're in the Lenten season now. And what is it that we're going to do? How are we going to um, <clears throat> reform our lives? How are we going to improve uh, what we're going to do uh, towards our spiritual well-being? Sometimes it's hard to tell. You know, Lent can feel overwhelming for some people. And I know a lot of our listeners out there, a lot of our audience, a lot of our uh, Virgin Most Powerful Radio family, it's easy to feel, feel overwhelmed at times. <clears throat> we go through so much. I get so many different people uh, reaching out to me and saying, you know, I think that there's uh, so much going on in my life. I feel like I'm just falling into a pit. Don't know how to get out of it. Feeling very heavy right now. I'm feeling like I'm being attacked. I feel like, you know, the demons are pushing at my door and I don't know what to do. I don't know how to get past that. <clears throat> I feel like there's so many things in my life. I just want to get rid of all this darkness. Uh, and we don't even know where it's coming from sometimes. That's one of the hardest parts because... We think, am I living the life I'm supposed to live? Am I living an exemplary life? I'm trying to be a good Catholic. Boy, you know, I go to church and 
Dr. Sandoval, sometimes I'm there and I feel like I can't even go receive communion because this darkness overcomes me. What am I supposed to do with that? That's a good question as to where does that darkness come from? I mean, it's a common feeling. As Catholics, as devout Catholics, it's very easy to say, I think it's the devil. I think there's demons attacking me and that's what's causing the darkness. And, you know, I never discount that. We read the Gospels. We, we see what's going on in our Catholic faith. We know that Jesus drove out demons uh, from people, real demons, shall we say, demons from hell. But there's different demons that we deal with as well, uh, demons that we carry. And by those demons, I, I don't mean devils in hell or anything like that. I mean, sometimes we carry certain burdens that we don't know how to get rid of. You know, one of those can easily be, I don't know how to forgive people. I'm carrying this burden of, of not forgiving people and I'm carrying around hate. You know, we say unforgiveness, we carry around hate, we carry around resentment, we carry around anger. And all those things really bring us down. That's not good spiritually, at least from a spiritual perspective, any exorcist will tell you, you know, you carry that around, that's like that's like uh, candy for demons. They're just gonna attach to that. From a psychiatric perspective, what I would say is that's a heavy burden on the mind and it's not gonna allow you to move forward. And it can easily lead to a depression. How many times do we just feel depressed? We feel like, I'm just not feeling good. Like I know that there's joy out there, but I don't experience it. I see other people are happy and I don't know how to cross this barrier from where I'm feeling emotionally to feeling happy like those people that seems like they're enjoying life. I'm here in the same place. I might be in the same park. I might be at the same beach. I might be at the same coffee shop. They seem to have joy in their life. And I don't have that. We're in the same area. I can't I can't say it's because I'm in a worse, worse off place necessarily physically, but interiorly, I don't know how to cross that line. And that can be really, really challenging. Why? Because we've got to ask ourselves, sometimes there's clinical depression, right? Where's it coming from? Sometimes it's clinical depression. And I say, yeah, you know, this is a, a medical condition, just like anything else, just like having high cholesterol, diabetes, anything along those lines, depression can happen. It's a condition of the brain where you look at the chemi brain chemistries and you take some medication and sometimes that helps. Or you go to therapy. Therapy changes the chemistries of the brain. Um, and sometimes that helps as well. But sometimes if we're carrying certain things that it's a little bit tougher, you know, a lot in, in the world of therapy and psychology, we're not trained in how to deal with guilt or resentment or things along those lines, right? We diagnose certain things. In fact, some people debate, should that even be something that is dealt with by psychiatrists, right? That's something more human life. It's where are we as a society? Do we sit down and and are we able to just have a chat with each other and say, yeah, I'm not feeling good and it's okay and not be judged and and think, how do I move forward from these feelings? I'm really angry at my parents. I'm really angry at my spouse, at my kids or whoever it is and I, at my friend. And, and I carry these, these feelings where I don't know what to do about it. <clears throat> is it possible to let that go? One of the challenges is that's going to bring us down. And how do I forgive? How do I do that? Well, let's look at the lives of the saints. Let's look at some saints who... Maybe had reason to feel angry or resentful, but chose to forgive and chose to put God first. That's pretty. That's a that's a good place to start. So started the show by reading this, about a patron of the youth, young women, purity, and victims of rape. And who could this be? Well, this saint was born in October 16, 1890. Died July 6, 1902. Was beatified by Pope Pius XII on April 12th. Uh, excuse me, April 27th, 1947, and was canonized by Pope Pius XII 
three years later in 1950. And this is, and her feast day is on July 6th, because that's when she passed away. And this is St. Maria Goretti. So if anybody doesn't know about St. Maria Goretti, let's go ahead and read that and think about her life as we're going into Lent and we're thinking, what am I going to do spiritually moving forward? So there's a good article. I'm going to put a link to this article. Uh, it's just from Catholic Online. Uh, and it's a, I think it's a, a really important story that she has to tell. And by story, I don't mean to diminish it, her life. What I mean is stories are what we remember in life. You know, we don't. I don't remember a whole lot of things from grade school as far as what I was wearing or who, what the teacher taught on a certain day. But I remember stories about what happened to my friends or how we lived life together during those years or things that might have happened to me. That's what really sticks to us. I want to hear her story because I want to hear about who she is. A lot of times when we read about saints, we just think that they are holy people who we can never uh, reach those heights. Well, I hope that we reach those heights because that's what's going to get us into heaven. We have to be saints. We, we all have to have that degree. Uh, there's no way around it. Well, let's read about her a little bit here. It says she was born October 16th, 1890 in Corinaldo in the Ancona province in Italy. Her farm worker father moved his family to Ferrer di Conca near Enzio, where he died of malaria, and Maria's mother had to struggle to feed her children. Already there's controversy here, and there's there's suffering. It's not an easy life. So let's let's start by thinking about that. This is where the story starts. This is why I say let's look at the story. Let's analyze the story a little bit to see where she's coming from. Her parents, it doesn't say whether they got along or not. And I say this because, you know, a lot of uh, people who come to me say, gosh, I came from a really rough household. My parents were always arguing or I'm, my parents were divorced or I never felt like there was a warm feeling at home. I never felt comfortable at home. Um, and that happens. Right. But in this case, I don't know that her parents got along or not. But what I can tell you is her father had to move the family. And that's not easy. Right. A farm worker. Why would he have to move the family? Did he have bad land? Were they not making it? Were they struggling to make ends meet? Did he think that he was going to take the family somewhere uh, to have a better life? Well, we usually do that, right? So moving the family is a big deal. And then he moves, but he dies of malaria. So all of a sudden, we lose the father figure. And her mother is left to struggle to feed the children. What do you do? You know, we're looking at 1890, Italy. I doubt that there was this idea that women could have careers and, and degrees like we do now, you know, we take advantage now, of, you can go to college, you can have a job just like anybody else. Uh, but in this particular case, her mom had to struggle to feed the children. Well, let's see what else happened here. Maria's mother, brothers and sisters, they worked in the fields while she cooked, sewed and kept the house clean and watched her youngest sister, Teresa. So Maria Grady had to stay home while her brothers and sisters, they worked in the fields, right? and her mother. Uh, so they all had to go work in the fields to make ends meet, and she had to be the homemaker. So she had to take care of all of them. She had to, from a young age, she already had to manage her family. She had to cook, sew, keep the house clean, and, and watch her younger sister. You know, this is beautiful. I know that she's a patron saint of uh, young women and purity and victims of rape, but I would dare say, gosh, I'm a patron saint of stay-at-home moms. Moms who sometimes feel like their lives aren't really worth much or they're not appreciated, which they're underappreciated. But if we start looking at what St. Maria Goretti had to go through, she was just a regular person. She was doing regular things, just like anybody else, household work, which is probably the least appreciated work, keeping the house in order. That's a big deal. But I don't know that it's quite as appreciated uh, in today's day and age. It says, through the family circumstances, they were extremely difficult. They were very close and loved God. 
loving God. I think that's the key. We're going to see more of that when we come back from the break. All right. Well, welcome back to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Today, we are talking about St. Maria Goretti. I'm not sure how much of her story we're going to be able to get through to get to maybe another saint, but her story is so important and so vital for us to understand so many different layers of what we could be going through that we we need to be able to relate to certain saints. I think she's an extremely relatable saint, um, especially as we're coming into Lent. Uh, we can talk about how does her story relate to our mental health, our spiritual health, our lives in general. Um, is there anything in there that we see that we can apply to our lives? Well, let's take a look. I think that there's always a case with all the saints, we can always apply something to our lives. But I think her story is something very special, especially in today's day and age. So where we left off, her family had moved. Uh, her father had died of malaria and they were struggling to make ends meet, but they loved God. It said though the family circumstances were extremely difficult. They were very close and loved God. I would dare say I would flip that around. I would say they loved God and they were very close. That's really what brings us together. We put the love of God first. So let's see what happens to our, our uh, good friend, St. Maria Goretti. On July 5th, 1902, she was sitting outside the steps of her home, sewing a shirt, uh, sitting next to it says her 18-year-old brother or neighbor. It's unclear if it was her brother or neighbor, but uh, his name was Alessandro and she was sewing his shirt. And while um, <clears throat> he was working in the barnyard, it says that she concentrated on her sewing. He surprised her and grabbed her from her steps from where she was sitting. And when he tried to rape her, Maria cried that it was a mortal sin and warned he would go to hell. Hmm. Okay. This is a big deal. Let's look at, let's look at this. Let's look at why. In that moment, it tells me, you know, Maria Goretti wasn't yelling at him and telling him that he was bad or that, you know, that, you know, anything of, of the world or anything along those lines. She cried that it was a mortal sin and warned that he would go to hell. Her heart, that what this tells me, tells me her heart was with God. It tells me that she was worried about what the act meant. She wasn't even thinking about herself in that moment. Notice that she was saying, no, this is not good. This is going to hurt God. I, I realize that you're going to try to hurt me here. I, I understand what you're doing, but. It's not about me. She didn't say this is going to hurt me. This is. She said this is going to hurt God. We can't do this. When Alessandro persisted, she fought him and screamed, "No, it is a sin. God does not want it." At her words, Alessandro began to choke her, and she said she would rather die than submit. Upon hearing her words, Alessandro pulled out a knife and stabbed her eleven times. When she attempted to reach the door, he stabbed her three more times, then fled. Well, let's take let's take a step back and look at this. This is a, a very very violent scene. This is not good. He's trying to force himself on her. The whole time, she's worried about offending God. She's the victim here, and she's worried about offending God. She's saying, "No, we can't do this. This is a sin." She was worried about him and told him, "No, you're going to go to hell. Um, God does not want us to do this." And what did he do? She said she would rather die, and he said, "All right." pulled out a knife and he began to stab her when she attempted to reach the door she's trying to flee he stabbed her three more times where was his heart this is where we really start to see the spiritual battle if you will this is where we see that she was saying no i want to be with god i don't want to hurt god i don't want to sin and he was saying i don't care about god in fact one has to ask themselves what is he overtaken by what is he possessed by in this moment he pulled out a knife and wanted to hurt her. He stabbed her. He's trying to kill her. 
So it's like he doesn't even care about God at this point. All he wants to do is kill her. <clears throat> he's trying to stab her, and even as she's trying to leave, he stabs her three more times, and then he leaves. What demons were plaguing him is really the question. He was overcome with this from even before the time he reached her. Something was brewing in his mind the same way something was sitting in her mind and heart. This is really what I wanted to uh, look at in this particular scenario. We read this and we realize this is a very violent scene. It's hard to uh, really fathom it. It's hard to absorb it because it's a bit much. You know, you got this young gal here. She's sitting there. Uh, she's just going about her work. And he obviously doesn't have good intentions. But I think that this is important to consider, not just the, the scene of, of the sin of, of rape, obviously, and him forcing himself and stabbing her. But if we take it a step back <clears throat> before this occurred, we have to ask ourselves, what was in each of their hearts? As we're going into Lent, this is what's really important. We think that we have to do a lot of things in Lent. You know, I want to give this up. Uh, we do a lot of these physical things. And by physical, I mean, I'm going to give up candy or I'm going to give up soda or I'm going to... Um, make sure that I, I keep my room clean or something along those lines. And that's great. But all these physical things, all these physical signs really need to, we need to ask ourselves, what does that mean about the condition of my heart? How is this going to change my heart? How is it, what is it that I'm going to put in my mind before I even do these things? If we look at the scene while she is there and says she was sewing the shirt, it says that he was, uh, he was threshing beans in the barnyard. Okay. So they're both working. They're both working. But what's in each of their hearts while they're working? Obviously, her heart is turned to God. She's sewing a shirt, and the whole time she's thinking about God. Remember, before this, it said that they were they loved God and they were a close family. In his particular case, what was he doing? He was working. He was threshing beans, obviously something that they needed to do for the household. But where was his heart? His heart obviously was not in a state of purity. His mind was not in a state of purity. His mind was in he wanted to go and overtake her. He wanted to go fulfill whatever his, the, his flesh needs were at that time, whatever uh, that sexual drive was at that time, that's what was in his mind and heart. He wasn't fighting that off. I don't know that she was ever tempted by thoughts of purity or impurity or, or to impurity. Um, we don't know that part of her. But what we do know is that in this particular scenario, as he was coming to her, if she was tempted, she must have been fighting those off. If she was tempted for anything, she must have been fighting them off. Her mind was turned to God and if we're in that moment, you know, we ask ourselves in that moment, what am I going to do? She was saying, no, I don't want any of this. I don't want to hurt God. I don't want to go to hell. I don't want to have a mortal sin in, 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 on my soul. And that's very powerful. I think that that's what we really need to get our hearts to during this Lenten season. Not so much what am I going to give up, but what am I going to do with my life? What am I going to do during this Lenten season? What sacrifice am I going to make so that my heart is turned to God, so that I'm focused on God? So that I might be able to say, no, I'm not going to hold a grudge because that's going to hurt God. I'm not going to not forgive somebody because that's not going to allow me to get to heaven if I, if I hold on to that unforgiveness. Am I ready to do that? Because it's a violent scene, that unforgiveness, that sense of hatred towards somebody. It's almost a rape of the soul, a rape of the heart, a rape of the mind, if you will. Because I have so many people coming to me and telling me, Dr. Sandoval, I just have this burden on me. It's just I feel like these thoughts are attacking me and I don't know how to get rid of them. It's like it's invading my mind. I don't want these these thoughts there. Sometimes I'm thinking about wishing Ill, Ill will on people. I'm thinking about people who have done me wrong and I want to hurt them. And I want and I'm, I'm harboring anger and I'm not going to forgive them because somehow I think that if I don't forgive them, you know, or if I do forgive them, like that's giving them a pass. And if I don't forgive them, I feel like like I'm hurting them. But 
The reality is they don't even know if you're forgiving them or not. It's it's only happening in our own hearts. Well, this is we we see the scene of Saint Maria Goretti's life. We see that she's just been stabbed. How does she handle it? In that moment, she made a decision for God. Does she regret her decision? Does you know what goes on in her life? We've all been attacked. We've we've all been hurt in some ways. How do we move forward from that? Well, let's see what happens here to her. It says, Teresa woke to the sounds of her sister's cries and began to cry. So that's her sister, woke up, and uh, she began to cry. Maria's family returned home and found her bleeding on the floor. They quickly took her to the nearest hospital in Natuno, where she underwent surgery without anesthesia. All right, here we go. We're being attacked. How many times has this happened to us? We're being attacked. We've been, we feel like we've been stabbed. We feel like we're bleeding. And then on top of that, we're going to go fix it. And it's even more painful to try to fix our wounds. In her particular case, obviously, big time wounds. It says that he had stabbed her uh, 11 times and then add another three to that because she was trying to flee. So she's got 14 stab wounds. Trust me, as a physician, I've healed people with their, or I've helped people out with their stab wounds. I remember very, I was working in the emergency department and there was a gentleman who came from the beach uh, and he had been surfing and he got caught in a riptide and the, one of the fins from the surfboard sliced his leg uh, and I had to go in there and I put in some stitches. Believe me, he needed anesthesia for that one slice and it was just one. It was a big one, but it was one. And it takes multiple layers. You know, you got to get in there. And you got to see how deep these wounds are. You got to uh, put stitches in for the muscles and the fascia and then the skin and, you know, all the different areas that need to be uh, fixed. In her case, she's got 14 stab wounds. I don't know how many stitches she would have needed, but no anesthesia. Let's just say the level of pain for that is, is uh, unfathomable. You know, we think we're going through pain. We got to think of St. Maria Goretti during this time of Lent and think, she underwent surgery without anesthesia. She had to go through pain on top of pain. And I wonder how much of this she was experiencing spiritual pain. Because how many times do we say, gosh, I'm going through this pain. I'm, I'm having a difficult time at work dealing with my boss, my coworkers. Can I offer this up to God? This is painful. This is painful. It might not be the same physical pain that we see here for St. Maria Goretti. But how many times am I experiencing spiritual pain, social pain, pain of hanging around people where I feel trapped. I can't do anything. I'm on a surgical bed. And for me to pray, it feels like I'm being operated on without anesthesia. Can I offer up that pain? So we still don't know what she did here. All we know is that she was attacked. She was taken to the hospital at this point, and she's undergoing surgery without anesthesia. Now, unfortunately, her wounds were beyond the surgeon's ability to help. Halfway through the surgery, the man asked her, Maria, think of me in paradise. So at this point, the surgeon's already letting her know, you're going to die. And please say a prayer for me, right? If you if you go up uh, to the great beyond, say a prayer for me, because it looks like we're not going to make it here. And this is we're only halfway through the surgery. As she lay on the table, she looked up at him and said, well, who knows which of us is going to be there first? She hasn't lost her faith. She's saying, I don't know that I'm going to die right now or not. I realize I'm in pain. I realize I'm bleeding. I know what you see. And you're the professional. You're the doctor. And you're telling me that this isn't going to work. I would trust the doctor, right? I would trust my surgeon who tells me, look, based on my experience, it looks like this is it. You know, start praying. Do something. Think of me in paradise. Pray of me when you get there. Yet she's got this level of faith where she's saying, you're still not God. God's still in charge. Remember, she had God in her heart from the beginning. It doesn't stop that way. Are we able to do that? This is something that we're, you know, and it's challenging. I can't, I can't speak for everybody, but are we able to say, hey, you're not God and, and only God is God. And 
I don't know what's going to happen here at my workplace. I don't know what's going to happen as far as, you know, me getting along with my boss, not getting along with my boss, my coworkers. What's going to happen there? Not sure. But here's what she says. So it says, she did not realize how terrible the situation was. And the surgeon replied, you, Maria. And she said, then I'll gladly think of you. And she's like, okay, if this is where it is, I'll think of you. She also mentioned concerns for her mother. The next day, Maria forgave Alessandro, and she said she wanted to see him in heaven with her. She died that day while looking upon the image of the Virgin Mary and holding a cross to her chest. So here's the big challenge for us. She was just attacked by this man who, first of all, was trying to take her virtue, was trying to take her virginity. <clears throat> the reason why she was attacked, that's pretty brutal. He stabs her for really obviously no good reason. He stabs her because of his own hatred, his own selfishness, his own inability to um, think of God the way she was thinking of God. He stabs her because he's angry and he wants to steal from her. He really wants to steal her, her virginity, her virtue. He sees it as a crime of opportunity, if you will. Somebody's there. And all of a sudden, you know, she tells the surgeon, okay, well, if I'm going to die, I'll gladly think of you. She concerned, she's worried about her mother. She doesn't say anything about herself. She's not even saying, get me a priest right now. What about me? She's saying, all right, this is it. This is it. Praying for her mother. She forgives him. And she wants to see him in heaven with her. That's a powerful moment. The very powerful moment that we're going to have to think about when we come back from the break. All right. Welcome back to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. You are listening to the Dr. Luis Sandoval Show. And today we are talking about St. Maria Goretti uh, here as we come into the season of Lent. Uh, as we're thinking about what is Lent all about? I got to get ready for Easter. I got to get ready for that day of the resurrection. And we think about our own resurrection, I hope, because remember, the whole reason that Christ came wasn't to put on a show. It wasn't, look at how good I am. He, being God, did not deem himself equal to God. He was crucified. He suffered. He died for us so that we could go to heaven. And all he was doing was showing us the way. But he did show us that it doesn't come without thorns. It doesn't come without a way of the cross. It doesn't come without a crucifixion. But we will have our day in heaven. And we see that here in the life of St. Maria Goretti. And as we're coming into land and thinking about what sacrifices can I make? What am I willing to bear? Maybe her life, her story might help us think a little bit more about, hmm, maybe my life is bearable. Or if it's not bearable, maybe I can find a way to offer these things up to Christ and not wish ill will towards who I perceive as people trying to hurt me, to end my life, to attack me. Um, or if this has happened in the past, how can I possibly forgive them? So where we left off here, um, it was where uh, St. Maria Goretti said that she forgave Alessandro and she wanted to see him in heaven with her. Here's the kicker on this one. Here's the real thought. This is from a psychiatric perspective, if you will, and from a spiritual perspective. All the people that I feel are making my life difficult or might not be um, as uh, kind to me as I think they could be or, or wish me ill will, am I able to forgive them? And am I able to say, I hope I see them in heaven with me. I hope I, I know what they're like in heaven. You know, in this in this day and age, in this world, if you follow social media, which I don't really follow that much, but the, the reason I don't follow it is because the short clips that I've seen or the, the examples I've seen, the stuff on the news that I see, 
I don't see too many people saying, boy, I hope I see them in heaven, and even though they did me wrong, or, you know, we don't agree politically, we don't agree spiritually, but I forgive them if they say something blasphemous or hurt my Lord or something, and I hope I see them in heaven. You know, I don't see a whole lot of that. I see a whole lot of, I hope people burn in hell uh, kind of mentality in today's society. I, I see a whole lot of anger, a whole lot of screaming at each other, and I don't see a lot of people saying, you know, doesn't matter what you do to me, even if you try to kill me. I hope I see you in heaven and I forgive you. That's pretty powerful stuff right there. And this is what St. Maria Goretti was able to do. Are we able to do that in our lives? Uh, it says she died that day while looking upon an image of the Virgin Mary and holding a cross to her chest. Let's see. She just forgave him. She hopes to see him in heaven. And the way that she dies is looking on the image of Our Lady and holding a cross to her chest. I think that's a great example. I think that that, for me, is the example of what I got to do this Lent. I need to hold a cross to my chest, which is a great image of I have to carry that cross of Christ in my heart. I have to understand that there's going to be suffering, and that's going to come from the heart. And maybe I can turn to Our Lady, and I can put my gaze on Our Lady while I do that to see if she will help us as well get to Christ, understand that cross, because who better shared that Christ with cross, that shared that cross with Christ than Our Lady. Um, and look at what our what St. Maria Goretti was able to do. If she's already doing that, she died with this image of Our Lady and holding the cross to her chest. She was able to forgive her enemy and hope to see him in heaven. So let's see here. Shortly after her family discovered her, uh, <clears throat> Alexander was captured and questioned. He admitted Maria had a was a physical virgin as he was unable to assault her and he was sentenced to 30 years. He also admitted that he had attempted to persuade her to accompany him to bed on several occasions in the past and he had attempted to rape her before. This is not the first time. This is not the first time. This is where we go back to that moment and I said, where were their hearts before this occurred? You know, what was going on in their mind and their heart before this occurred? Obviously, they were both working. They were both doing their jobs for the day. But her heart was on our Lord. And obviously, from this story, his heart had been growing. Now, this is this is important to consider because, you know, a lot of times people might say, oh, no, he, he was a good guy. But uh, just in that moment, he had a lapse. He had a moment of, of uh, wanting her, to hurt her. Uh, it was just spur of the moment. It was the heat of the moment. Um, but if we look at this, it, it's not usually like that. You know, what's in our hearts, it's been building. Usually, you know, you don't become a saint in a day. You also don't go down the the other side, the deep end in a day either. It's little by little. If you talk to anybody who has ever been in a cult, who has ever been influenced by evil, by Satanism, by anything of, the, of those things, you know, in today's society, we hear a lot about satanic ritual abuse and things like that. Well, if it's true satanic ritual abuse, it's little by little. You know, it's it's um, uh, brainwashing. It's just a little idea, a little seed is planted in the person's mind, in the person's heart, and it grows a little bit. And then another little seed is planted. And all these little seeds, they're either going to drive you away from God or towards God. If it's part of somebody who's trying to drive you into their cult or into uh, really worshiping what's evil or, or desiring what's evil, it's little by little. They're going to make you look at the world. See, see how that person's bad. Why should you be good? See how that person got away with this? How come you have to uh, go by the rules? See how that person, you know, they're okay. They're living a life of what your religion might consider sin and nothing bad's happening to them. In fact, they're rich. They have a lot of women. They have a lot of drugs. They have a lot of cars. They have a lot of homes and nothing bad's happening to them. Why should your life be any different? It's easy to plant these seeds and you start going down this path. For Alexander, if he had already uh, attempted to uh, rape her before, it tells me that his heart has already been in a place over time 
uh, where he's not pure, where he's not thinking about God and he's not thinking about doing the right things. During this Lenten season, if we find that that's where our heart's been going, you know, I'm not going to forgive this person. You know, see what else they did that's bad? I, 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 I really can't forgive them. See how this is happening? Oh, no, I really can't move on. If we carry that in our hearts, we're going to keep going down that path during the Lenten season. If we find that, I don't want anybody to be scared or start thinking, oh, my gosh, I am so bad. I can never be good. Not at all. This is actually a time for us to look for those areas of our life, because I'm sure that we all have that at some level in different parts of our of our lives, whether it be with coworkers, with family members, with ourselves. There's parts of our lives, parts in our hearts, parts of our soul where we've allowed ourselves to go down maybe a dark path. This is a time to say, hey, I'm going to start planting the seeds the other way. I'm going to start saying, well, what if I choose to think about God in this moment? What if I choose to actually start a relationship with Christ? What if I sit down here? You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to sit down here. I'm going to put a chair next to me. And I, nobody's going to sit there. I'm going to pretend Christ is sitting there. And in fact, I'm going to ask Christ to sit there. And I'm just going to have a conversation with him. Because how do I build a friendship with Christ? People can say, well, Dr. Sandoval, you don't see him. You don't know where he is. Or why are you praying to Are you praying to an empty God? You're praying to a piece of bread? I'm going to choose to believe that this is true. I'm going to choose to believe that this is Christ. I'm going to sit here and I'm going to start talking to him. And in my heart, I'm going to start talking, regardless of what the world around me says, in my heart, I'm going to start to see that this is Christ. And I'm going to share with him just like I would with a friend. Lord, this is what's happening in my heart right now. These are the This is the darkness that's in my life. This is what I'm sorry for. Can you help me fix it? Can you help me move forward? Can you help me be pure of, of heart and mind? And I'm not just talking sexually. You know, all of a sudden we think about purity and we see this story. And obviously there is a very big scene here that leads us to sexual purity in mind, right? But in our lives, can I be pure in the way I uh, uh, address other people and not assume the worst of them? Pure in the sense of I'm not going to assume that they're bad or that, or I'm not going to say that, oh, they're a gossip or I'm going to say, you know, I don't know what's going on in their lives, but they're a child of God and they're probably trying to do the best they can, just like I am. Can I do that in my heart? That's really the purity of heart. It's not just sexual, but it's, a, it's thinking the best of people before I think the worst of them. Is that possible? Well, let's see what else is going on in Maria Goretti's uh, life here, because he has just done a big deal. Alexander here admitted to everything. So starts off with the truth. He's taken to jail and it says he remained unrepentant for his actions until he had a dream that he was in a garden. So let's look at this though. He just saw what he did. This woman died. He stabbed her and he's still unrepentant. What does that tell me? When we don't repent for our sins and we harbor unforgiveness and things like that, we, we feel justified in our actions. We feel like what I did was okay. And somehow I'm not going to repent for that. I don't feel like I need forgiveness for what I did. In fact, I'm not going to forgive them because of what they did. This is the hard part. We remain unrepentant. And it's a scene where he goes to jail and he's unrepentant. That's kind of what happens to us spiritually and mentally. If we're not forgiving people, we're in our own jail. We start to create our own jail. We feel trapped. Dr. Sandoval, I feel like I can't move forward in life. I feel like all the people uh, around me are, are bringing me down. I feel like they're hurting me and I, I can't move forward because of them. I would say, well, I understand that there's a lot of pain that they're causing you. However, are you sure you can't move forward because of them or are you trapping yourself where I can't move forward because I'm not letting go of these things? Got to ask ourselves that question. It's not an easy question to ask and it's not easy to let go of these things. But let's look at what happens to him. It says he remained unrepentant until he had a dream that he was in a garden. We go back to a garden, right? Now, you know what's funny? This story really, what it reminds me a lot of is actually Cain and Abel. 
Abel's doing his work and God sees his gifts as uh, his gifts to God, his sacrifices to God as worthy. Cain is doing his work and he sees and he's very angry because he doesn't feel that his uh, gifts are as appreciated by God. But when God talks to him, he says, hey, Abel's pure of heart. All he thinks about is me. All you can actually get my favor, too. You just have to change your heart. And what does he do? Instead of saying, I'm going to change my heart and move towards God. He says, I'm going to go kill uh, my brother. This reminds me of the same thing. Why do I think of this? Because we go back to a garden. You know, we go back, we go back to that start. He's unrepentant until he has a dream in a garden. Let's see what happens in this garden. Maria was there and gave him lilies. Now, if anybody knows what lilies are, lilies represent purity. That is why we always see St. Joseph. He's holding a lily, usually a white lily, right? So anytime you see a saint and you see a lily around him or a white lily, it tells me that there's a lot of purity around them. So in his dream, Maria is there. And she gives him a lily, which immediately burned in his hands. What's that telling him? It's a message. We got to listen. Sometimes, you know, people come to me, Dr. Sandoval, do you interpret dreams? Do you know what dreams are? For the most part, you know, if you're going to have a dream, I wouldn't put too much credence on them. Usually they just let me know what's going on in somebody's subconscious. You know, usually if somebody dreams something and they say, oh, Dr. Sandoval, I dreamt that this monster was after me. It was such a big dream. You know, it was so real. I was scared. I was running, um, but I felt like I was going to end up being trapped and this monster is going to come after me. It looked like a dragon. I think it was a devil. Well, we can make a big deal out of dreams like that, but I always tell them, well, didn't you tell me that your boss is really coming down on you? And every time you go to work, you feel like you got, you, you're worried about him being around. You don't want him around and you, you're scared of him and he's going to come down hard on you. Maybe the dream just represents your subconscious and, and the, the monster is your boss who's coming down on you. Uh, and they say, oh, maybe that's a good idea. Sure. But in this particular dream, we have to ask ourselves, you know, he sees Maria there and she gives him a lily and this lily burns in his hand. In our dreams, are we ever getting messages from heaven? In our dreams, when we look at them, is it ever a message like St. Joseph got from an angel saying, hey, you need to move in this direction? It's something to think about, and we're going to talk more about that after the break. All right. Well, welcome back to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. You are listening to the Dr. Lee Sandoval Show. You know, interesting folks, when I started the show, I had a few different saints I was going to touch on to look at our uh, Lenten season. Uh, and maybe what we'll do is we'll do a series of uh, shows on some different saints that might help us understand a little bit more or give us an example of what way we want our lives to move, what direction our mind, our hearts, our soul should move in um, during our Lenten season as we prepare for Easter. Uh, because really, we look so much on this world uh, to, to give us peace and hope and, and look forward to things in the material that we forget, you know, where this, the true happiness is going to come from, just being in a good place with God. And that's really important. St. Maria Goretti's story is so rich. I think we're just going to focus on her here on this last segment of the show. Uh, maybe we'll have a few other saints that we're going to focus on. And we can apply their lives to our daily lives, to our uh, mental health, our spiritual health, our physical health, because obviously St. Maria Goretti went through some spiritual and physical, well, obviously the first one's physical suffering, but what does it take to forgive somebody while they are stabbing you? She had already forgiven them. If you think about it, you know, it, it took her two seconds to say, yeah, I forgive them. What does it take to forgive somebody while they're crucifying you? We need to think about this. This is what Christ taught us. And St. Maria Goretti obviously had Christ in her heart. If we look at her, she's being killed. Why? Because somebody for somebody else's selfish desires and not the first time that he has approached her. Somebody else, else's selfish desires she's being killed for uh, and she's ready to forgive him. 
very Christ-like moment. You know, our St. Maria Goretti had a very Christ-like moment there. She's being, she wasn't crucified to a cross. She wasn't on a wooden cross, but she's being stabbed to death. She's being punctured. Our Lord was punctured and, and, and stabbed as well. Um, but he was ready on that cross to say, Lord, forgive them for they know not what they do. That's really where the moment of forgiveness comes from. That's where our spiritual, where we can, we can see where we are spiritually in our lives. Am I ready to forgive people as they're hurting me? Am I ready to say, there's something greater than this moment. I'm going to look beyond myself. I'm going to look to God. Um, that's really the most important part uh, of all this. But let's see what happened here. So now we're on uh, uh, Alessandro's story, Alexander, Alessandro in Italian, uh, and see where he's at. Remember, he was he had remained unrepentant. He was holding on to anger. He was holding, and he was the one, he was the perpetrating person. How many times do we see this? How many times do we see people hurting us, yelling at us, not treating us nice, nicely, and yet they feel justified in doing that? They feel justified in their anger. Is that possible? We see it a lot, right? Is that okay? No, of course not. We need to look at this and say, hey, this is not okay, but can I say, you know what, I'm going to focus on God and let God handle this and let him be uh, in charge of things. Uh, and I'm going to forgive this person because my focus is on carrying my heart to God. Well, let's see where he's at. Remember, he just had a dream. And we were talking about dreams before the break. He had a dream where Maria was there, gave him a lily, and the lily immediately burned in his hands. Does this mean anything? You know, there's certain dreams that we can just blow off and say, that was a weird dream. I don't even know what that was about. You know, it's what's going on with my subconscious. Uh, or there's other dreams that we can say, yeah, you know, I see what uh, what this dream means. It, it, uh, it's because I've been stressed about my test and I dreamt about numbers and I'm, I got a math test coming up, whatever it is. Do we ever have dreams where we say, I think God is telling me something. I, I think God is telling me to do something. What I can tell you is this. I've seen a lot of people say, oh, the Holy Spirit put this in my heart and I need to go tell somebody about this. Or, you know, oh, God wants me to tell you this. And a lot of times it's just gossip or uh, they, they really just want to share a story. And it's cloaked, unfortunately, under this guise of this is something from the Holy Spirit or something about God. If we have a dream and we think that it could be God telling us what to do um, or God leading us in a direction, this is how we know, or with the Holy Spirit put something in my heart. It's never to go tell somebody else what they need to do with our lives. Not usually. If, the, if all of a sudden we feel like God told me I need to go tell this person about, very rare. You know, if you have a Marian apparition, a true one, and she's telling you to go talk to the bishop, that's a different story. We can talk about that. But for the most part, 99.9% .9 of the time, if we're getting a message from God, it's directed to us. It's going to be directed to how do I need to move my life and what direction do I need to move my life? If I have a dream and I think it's a spiritual dream, it's usually going to be a dream that's going to move my heart to say, you know what? I got to let all this go and I just need to go pray. I just need to go be with God. I just need to go see God. I just need to go to the, to confession. I need to reform my life somehow. That's how we know it's the Holy Spirit talking to us. That's how we know God's talking to us. Rarely does God ever tell us you need to go tell this person what to do with their life doesn't happen. It's easy to, usually if people are doing that is because there's something going on in their life that they're not focusing on that they need to fix. And it's a lot easier to focus on everybody else, right? So, but let's look at this because he had this dream. Maria gives him a lily and it immediately burns in his hands. When he woke, he was a changed man. He was a changed man. He didn't go tell somebody else to do something. His life changed. He repented his crime and living, so he, well, this is just grammar, but he repented his crime of his crime and he started to live a reformed life. 
when he was released 27 years later, he went directly to Maria's mother and begged her forgiveness, which she gave, saying, if my daughter can forgive him, who am I to withhold forgiveness? This is important here. This is this is where God touches our lives. Usually, if I'm going to go tell somebody else about, you know, gosh, God, want, God wants me to tell you this, it's not because I see what you're doing is wrong necessarily. It could be. But for the most part, it's because I see how God changed my life. And I think that he can help you in your life. It's usually the message of God. It's not about me. So keep that in mind, too. So sometimes we say, yeah, you know, I feel like God's telling me to tell you something. Let me tell you why I can tell you this, because my life was ruined. It's kind of like when you, when you see um, a lot of times I work with uh, prisoners or things like that, and they'll want to go tell kids, listen, don't get into drugs. I'm not telling you this because I'm telling because uh, I'm telling you that your life is this or that. You know, it's because this is what happened in my life. It led me down this path. I ended up in jail. My whole life was ruined because I decided I, I needed to do some drugs. And I just want to share this story with everybody else, because if I see you doing that, I don't want your life to go in this direction. You know, I don't want you to suffer the same consequences I suffered. I want you to change your life because I see what direction it's going because my life went in that direction. Those are true messages from God. If I can share with you, hey, your life needs to change <clears throat> because let me tell you, I've been down that road. I bet you, Alessandro or Alexander here, if he's truly a changed man, he's probably going to go talk about purity. And he's going to talk about purity and say, trust me, God doesn't want this for us. I'm, I'm, I reformed my life. I changed. And what we have to ask ourselves here is, can we believe that his life changed? Because now, during our Lenten season, can I believe other people are truly repentant and want to be closer to God? Can I give them that benefit of the doubt? Can I see uh, the goodness in other people, even if they're being what I consider vile or evil? Well, it's not up to me to judge them. It's up to God. I need to find what's good in them because God is going to find what's good in them. Not because I'm God or I'm good, but because that's what God's asking me to do. That's a big challenge for Lent. That would be really changing my heart to say, I'm only going to see the world the way God sees the world. I'm not going to see the world the way, the world the way I see it. That's no good. Okay, so let's see here. He goes and he begs for forgiveness right away. This is how we know he's reformed as well. He was released from prison 27 years later. His first concern after leaving prison is not, where am I going to get my money? Where am I going to get my house? Anything like that. He goes directly to Maria's mother and he's begging for forgiveness. He's looking for forgiveness. Remember, I said, if you have a dream and it's a message from God, usually it leads us to the confessional. Usually it leads us to say, I need to get my life better with God. And if anybody talks to me about anything, I'm going to talk to them about how we got to get good with God. And how we need to repent of our sins. I don't know what your sins are, but whatever it is, trust me, you just want to be in a good relationship with God. That's all that matters. Maria Goretti was beatified by Pope Pius XII in a ceremony at St. Peter's Basilica on April 27, 1947. Remember, I said three years later, June 24, 1950, Maria was declared a saint. And here's the kicker of it all. Alexander was present at Saint, in the St. Peter's crowd to celebrate her canonization. He was there. This is a moment of heaven, really. You know, this is a true test of heaven. We we can see this, and by today's standards, we'd say, he needs to be back in jail. What's he think he's doing there? Who does he think he is? This is her moment. No, this is our, our moment. This is our story together. He's really a testament here to being able to reform our lives, being able to say, does he deserve a place in heaven as well? Does he deserve to be a saint? And you say, well, Dr. Sandoval, he can't be a saint because look at what he did to St. Maria Goretti. Well, of course he can be a saint. Because sainthood has nothing to do with the level of your sins. Sainthood has everything to do 
with how much can we repent of our sins and decide to be closer to God? This is really a moment of heaven here where I see a saint beatified. Somebody's going to be beatified in that moment in the last judgment. And I'm going to ask myself, did I hurt this person at all? And they're a saint. Can I be here? Only if my heart is reformed. Only if I recognize, boy, what I did was not good. And I am very sorry for it because I hopefully will be lifted up to that status of sainthood as well uh, after I've forgiven everybody. But I need to do that in my heart first. Can we do that during this Lenten season? Can I find it in my heart to forgive other people? I hope so. I hope so. So let's see here. He was there and he was present. Now let's look at what, what happened in his life. He later became a lay brother of the order of Friars Minor Capuchin, where he lived in a monastery and worked as its receptionist and gardener until his death. That's a reformed life right there. He wants nothing but God at this point. He wants nothing but to make up for his life. And in fact, he recognizes his sin and says, I can't live like that anymore. I'm going to go to the extreme here. I'm just going to go be a lay brother. He didn't even say he became a priest or anything. He became a lay brother of the order of the Capuchins, lives in a monastery. And what does he do for his life? He worked as a receptionist and a gardener. He doesn't want any accolades. He's just there to greet people and to be the gardener of the place. This is pretty impressive. In our lives, is that okay with us? Are we always going to be chasing that next title? Or am I going to be trying to move up that ladder? Or am I so reformed in my heart that all I care about is God and whatever labor he brings my way, even as simple as, hey, I'm just a file clerk. Can I file papers with love? Hey, you know what? I'm just a receptionist here. I say hi to people and I make appointments for them and that's it. Can I do that with love? Hey, I just need, um, you know, my, my job, I'm the garbage man. What do I do? I go around picking up people's garbage. Can I do that with love? Can I do that with the idea that in my heart, I'm just looking for Christ and I'm looking for the good in people. That's really the key. That's the key to Lent. Can I forgive, not think about anything else? And in this particular case, and this is what a lot of people will struggle with during Lent, he's an example too of what we can do. Obviously, he's not been canonized. He's not been beatified or anything along those lines. However, one of the questions we have to ask ourselves, and this is a big struggle people have and during Lenten season, I've been talking about, can I forgive my coworkers? Can I forgive the people around me? A lot of times find it very people find it very hard. Can I forgive myself? You know, I've done things in my life that I regret. Uh, I had an abortion when I was younger. Uh, I fought somebody when I was younger. I killed somebody. I'm, now I'm in jail, but it was a gang member or something. There's so many things that happen in our lives that we got to ask ourselves, can I forgive myself as well? He had to come to that realization of, look at what I did, and can I forgive myself? Last sentence here. St. Maria is called a martyr because she fought against Alexander's attempts on sexual sin. However, the most important aspects of her story are how she forgave her attacker, her concern for her enemy extending even beyond death, and the miracle her forgiveness produced in his life. We can create miracles in each other's lives in our own lives. And really, more than anything else, I think that what we garner, have to garner from the story is, is my heart prepared to forgive everybody around me? Is my heart prepared to forgive myself? And the way St. Maria Goretti said is, I forgive him and I want to see him in heaven. Can I say that about everybody else? And can I say that about myself? I'm going to forgive myself as well. And hopefully I can see myself in heaven. During this Lenten season, I think that's going to be our big challenge. Where is my heart? Can I put God in my heart at all times? And can I make sure that my heart is turned to heaven?